Blog Talk Radio. And 
it's kind of sad. It's like one of those things that I sometimes pay attention to are like the lists of like the highest paid and celebrities. Many of them tend to be musicians with like with like how like the thing that's sad is that Amy Winehouse is going to be probably going to her estate is probably going to be very rich because she was around for such a short time yet the music is timeless and and there's like a value that just rose because there's nothing new like I just learned this yesterday like that Nirvana the band Nirvana has made a lot more money than the Foo Fighters the Foo Fighters have been around a lot longer. They recorded, they've recorded a lot more albums. They're still present. Dave Grohl, the lead singer from Foo Fighters, is was the drummer from Nirvana. Yet, yet I'm sure he makes more money from the Nirvana royalties than he does with his current band, which has been very successful on its own, but not the super giant mega success that Nirvana was. Right. That's uh, that's uh, that's uh, when you that's, that's what happens. Like um, her sales has went up thirty three percent, I believe, since she's passed, and it happens because people are running out to get anything they can have of her memory. I remember uh, Aaliyah when Aaliyah passed, her sales went up, and that's what happens when these big superstars pass, you know. And um, you know, even even me, I I went out, I went and got all of my Amy Whitehouse videos and DVDs and watched them, and it's just real sad, man. It's just sad, you know. And I know her parents, my heart to go out to her parents, and I think she was trying to do the right thing, Ian. That's what's, what's strange about this. I think she went home and just tried to quit, and I think her body couldn't take just the cold turkey thing, you know, just totally not. It, need, it needed to feed off of that evil alcohol. And, uh, just, so you got to, you know, when you become a child star, when you become a child star, just, yeah, you got to make sure your your kid is doing the right things health wise, because there's a lot of other factors that have to do with being a child superstar or growing up to be a superstar. You got a lot of other demons you have to fight, and uh, you got to make sure that the child is prepared mentally and physically. Not just be a great talent, but be able to deal with all the other demons that come at you especially coming from a child growing up into being a superstar. Everybody wants a piece of you. It's a lot of pressure. Wow. And I know we've been talking a lot about children, child musicians. I know later in the show we're going to be talking about something that's really cool that you told me about, about some kids going on. But it's just like child, adults, young adults, like you can just see just like, not even just in music, but where you see, like, you see people, they become celebrities, they become famous, they become immortal, yet there's immortality. Like, you see these basketball players and professional athletes just live this life that it's, in some ways it's just a fantasy and it's like a level of excess. I know I was reading about some studies about energy and just adrenaline and there's like a certain power that only rock stars get because it's like such a high level of just this energy that it's something that isn't necessarily transferred to everywhere else. It's like 
rock stars, like something only rock stars get, but not everyone can be a rock star. Yet you can be a rock star in a different way, but you have musicians, you have people who are just very successful in what they do in their lives. And that's where we are. But, Jay, you are a rock star. I will say that. Oh, oh, thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, I love rock, by the way. <laughs> um, you know, you know, what's interesting here is the fact that even if, even if you're a child actor, it doesn't matter. It's just like the musicians, they get, it's just, it affects them a little bit more because they got a little bit more creativity going on. But even if you're a child actor or a child athlete, you still got these same pressures. You know, I mean, you can look at, you know, you can look at a lot of these child actors that, you know, they grew up and their parents took advantage of their money or somebody, the manager. They got all these pressures and they end up, some of them end up on these bad, horrible drug binges, you know, Todd Bridges, you know, just, they got so much pressure, you know, and I don't, you, you kind of say, hey, maybe you don't want to be a, a superstar actor. Maybe you don't want to be a superstar uh, kid musician. Maybe you don't want to be a superstar athlete kid. Maybe you just want to be a kid. You got to let them be kids because if you don't let them be kids, these are the things that happen. I mean, it's sad because they have, you got to let your child be a kid. You can't force this on them because they end up having to deal with these other pressures of being a superstar. And um, you don't have a life. They end up not having a life, and they go crazy. And they turn to other things. They turn to other people. They turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They turn to, uh, you know, not eating right, You're not, not sleeping right. Maybe maybe you don't want to be a superstar, Ian. Maybe you don't want your kid. Maybe your kid just should just play a guitar and just be regular. That's good enough, you know. And if they do happen to be, if they do happen to be a superstar, then so be it. (laughs) Well, speaking about superstars and musicianship and youth, this is a perfect segue to introduce our guest for today. He's somebody he he he's he's a musician and he is young and he's done some amazing things and and. His name is Walt Ribeiro. He has this amazing website for orchestra.com. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Walt, can you hear us? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, I can actually hear you perfectly. That is, can you hear that me? Is, yeah, absolutely. Jay, can you hear Walt? Walt, meet Jay. Hi. Jay, meet Walt. Hey, Jay, what's up? Hi, Walt. How you doing? Hey, what's going on? Everything's good. The sky is feeling. Um, How you well, doing? I'm here in I'm here in Manhattan. It's uh, kind of sunny, kind of cloudy, um, but it's not rainy, and uh, I guess that makes it a pretty good day so far. So far, yeah, yeah, it's cool. As we got the older hey, well, well, up in Westchester. Go ahead, Jay. <laughs> no, I was, I was asking. I was I was responding to Walt. He said, "How how are you feeling?" And on the West Coast, when you say "How are you feeling," we say. You say you say what you he said what's up and I said the sky and the ceiling how are you feeling? <laughs> well, that's what we say on the West Coast. Ah. <laughs> West Coast like the Sorry. San Francisco area or uh, Denver or well not Denver but uh, uh, Santa Barbara the mm-hmm. Oak- Oakland San Francisco area Walt. Um, oh wow okay. So I'm out here. I did want to tell Walt one thing, and, and Ian, I wanted to tell you and our audience that I want to give a congratulations to one of our kid bands out here, 
they're the they're in the final four of America's Got Talent. They're called Pop Lights. So I want to give them. They're all friends of mine. And if you guys out there root for them, and hopefully they can win. And they're in the final four. Is uh, they're all like 17, 16, 18, you know, little kids. So I just want to give a shout out, uh, Ian and Walt. So that's that's all I want to say. We can get to Walt now. I think that America's Got Talent. I think that all of those talent shows are absolutely phenomenal. I I, I was just watching uh, So You Think You Can Dance last night, and I was blown oh. away, blown away by the level of n- not only like professionalism, but just the whole atmosphere and the feeling. Like because when I look at So You Think You Can Dance, or um, you know, or if it's America's Got Talent, or if it's American Idol, or if it's the X Factor, or whatever it is, um, I'm always blown away by these by these acts and these musicians and these artists and these dancers and photographers and you know theater majors who fly so far under the radar. Like there's so much going on that I'm not aware of, yeah. and when I see these acts, I'm blown away by them. And I couldn't I couldn't turn away from it last night. I was I was absolutely stunned. Wow, yeah, I agree with you. Where do they come from? You know, you be wondering where, did, where are these people coming from because it's all kind of it's untapped talent that America has. Just watching it, like and even like yourself, well, you're talented, you know. Where, where do you guys come from? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like, and it's like what I find to be amazing about it too is that it's people who you don't even recognize that have the talent. Like I could be walking down the street. And the people, you know, who I'm passing every five seconds, I have no idea who this person is next to me. But he or she could be, you know, this incredibly talented dancer, you know, and like, and like everyone has their own kind of like identities, which you can't see looking at them. And so I find it amazing when I discover these new, I don't want to say talents, but when I discover these new acts that, you know, it's people every day you know, who I'm living amongst, and yet I don't get to see their kind of art, you know? And, and so right. that's why I find it to be so interesting. I think all those shows are absolutely fantastic. What's, what, what, what's your friend's band? What's your friend's band name? Not band. Yeah, there's a band. It's a band. They're called Pop Life. And, you know, out in Oakland, we have a lot of problems with the youth. And just to see some positives come out of Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area, um, just to see these kids up there, it shows a different side of what you can do, you know, and they're, they're, they're just very, it's awesome. It's awesome. They're called Pop Life, and they made, I guess you can win a million dollars if you win the whole thing. Hopefully, you know, oh, cool. okay. I hope they win. But they made it to the Final Four, you know, and I'm just amazed. I'm just glad. I was me, matter of fact, me and um, what's funny about this, Ian, is our, yeah. <laughs> well, so I'll just say our boss, um, the Goldwaters group, uh, Gail was out there with me out here in California, Walt, and we were with to see uh, Patrice Russian, who was a famous songwriter producer. And these kids that are on American Got Talent, Gail was going backstage to see Patrice Russian, and they rushed in front of her and pushed her out the way because they knew Patrice Russian, and Gail knows Patrice Russian, and they pushed her out the way, and those are the same kids that pushed her out the way uh, are the same kids on American Got Talent. <laughs> so it's, wow. That's that is. <laughs> That is huge, just making it getting closer to home and just closer to us. Yes, so it's like, yes, so 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 far we've really talked about two different extremes in terms of just youth and talent with Amy Whitehouse, and then you got this this tragedy, and then you've got this very exciting this young 
group of performers on America's Got Talent. So, yes, and then our producer, our producer Gail, she, she met him. So that's just so funny. Our producer met him. Well, that's what I was trying to share with Ian and you. And uh, they pushed her out the way, though, but she met him. She was talking to him, and, <laughs> you know, and it's ironic. <laughs> Very cool. So, good stuff. So, while we're yeah, – so, yeah, so, Walt, I'd love to just – if you could just share a little bit about your background just as – in making music and listening to music um, as a child and now and everything along the way? Well, I started uh, playing guitar when I was 16. And the reason why that even started is because I didn't have a whole lot of friends when I was in high school. So, um, you know, I, I mean, I just, I wanted to learn guitar. So I called my friend Kathy and then another friend, Jack, who were kind of like the only two people that, you know, I mean, there were a couple, but so they showed me how to play guitar, and then I fell in love with it, um, and then I went to school for it, and so I started guitar when I was 16. When I was 18, I went up going to school for it, uh, then I was teaching professionally by the time I was 19, so I, I spent all day playing guitar. I joined every band. I, you know, tried to, you know, play for every second that I had, um, and so then when I was in college, I was studying guitar performance, jazz performance, and I got carpal tunnel syndrome in my left hand. And then I was forced to, um, uh, so I didn't have to get surgery, but the doctor said, you, you know, you have to, you can't, you can't keep playing. Uh, so I then had to change my major to music composition. I, I always wanted to stay with, stay in music. So that was it. And then um, when I graduated from college, I went up loving 10 times more. I went up loving writing music 10 times more than playing it. So um, when, I, when I graduated college, I started, I released a CD. I started teaching music lessons on the Internet. I started doing a lot of different things. And currently what I do after the past five or six years is I arrange pop songs for orchestras. So I'll take a song by Lady Gaga or Miley Cyrus or Radiohead um, or Madonna or something, and I'll arrange their songs for different orchestras around the world. And that's wow. it. That's, uh, wow. that's, my, that's, what, that's what I do. But when I was teaching music lessons, I was, I was also uh, working with DonorsChoose.org, trying to raise money for schools and for music education, I was doing a lot of, like, speaking events and stuff to different education uh, schools and stuff. So, you know, um, that music education is really deep down inside of who I am. And uh, the students that I've taught have been every age from three years old to 80 years old. And so, I mean, I have some pretty, like, pretty funny stories and, you know, pretty, like, upsetting stories. I mean, for one... The one thing is that when when you teach a younger student, like let's say he or she is like three, four, or five, or five years old, the student, the most difficult part of getting a young student involved in music is the physical um, limitations. So, for example, even if you were to buy a miniature guitar, the student nine times out of ten can't get their fingers even around the guitar neck let alone being able to move their fingers and get the dexterity and the strength to even hear a note. So within the first three months, the student thinks that they're supposed to be a professional. Well, because they're young, they don't know any better. Um, so within like a couple months, like they start thinking that something's wrong with them 
and you know they start kind of blaming themselves. So I think that's one of the problems. Um, I think of of learning music so young, and the fact that I started guitar when I was 16 instead of when I was six, I think was actually um, a good thing as opposed to a bad thing. But I think everyone has a voice, so I kind of uh, promote the idea of students, you know, joining choir and singing because I think that the learning curve for that is a lot less dramatic than learning violin at six years old or something. But I think that music education is incredibly important and I think it's so fun and I've so I've so many awesome experiences. Ah that that you are amazing. I am so just to know you is wonderful, Walt. I think that is that's great, man. Um since you you've been playing all these years and um, I'm 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 you know I'm coming off the first thing you said you said you started playing guitar because you, you know didn't have a lot of friends. I want could you explain that what you meant by that because I'm just I'm just I got so many questions for you and I'm excited you know I just want to know what because you know I'm a musician and I kind of did the same thing but I just want to hear it from your point of view what that means. Yeah well so I mean it, I mean it wasn't that dramatic to the point where I was like you know a total geek but I was never in like the cool crowd I, I had my core group of friends which is all I cared about my core group of like six or seven friends but it's like when you're in a small town in South Jersey and you're 15, 14, 15, 16 years old, high school is a very dramatic time. I mean, you know, you're going through trying to get, you know, trying to have like, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You're trying to find yourself. You're trying to, you know, look in the colleges and, you know, what's your career, what's your talents, you know, do people accept me? I mean, it's a very dramatic time. And so when right, I say right. like, yeah, so when I say like I never had a lot of friends, I think that was a good thing. Like I had my core group of seven, you know, five, six, seven people that that's all I talked to and that's all I cared about. But outside of that, right. it was a very lonely time when I wasn't with them. So, you know, I mean, I wasn't going to like the big parties or going out and doing these big things. Right. So I just started learning guitar for my, for my downtime, which is, I, I think that's what a lot of people do. And I'm not saying it just for music. I think that's how people get involved with painting, with basketball, I mean, all these extracurricular activities, that's how you find what you're passionate about. And because and you have so much downtime, you're kind of growing up, not so much in a lonely world, but you're trying to find something to kind of take up your time and something to identify with. And so for me, for me, it was learning, you know, let me learn guitar. For other people, it might be, let me start learning how to paint. For other people, it might be like, oh, you know, uh, I'm going to play, vi- you know, video games or I'm going to go you know, start learning how to surf. It's just, but that's what I did. And that's what I mean by it was a lonely time. But I think that's normal in most 14, 15 year old kids. Yeah, I understand. I, I didn't mean that that it wasn't a normal thing, but I think most creative people like you, they go through this period of time where you want to be creative and you're learning something, you get, you, you kind of feel by yourself because, you know, when you start practicing, you alienate yourself away from your friends, you know, the basketball team, the football team, because you got to, you know, guitar and keyboards and instruments are personal. So they become part of, they become part of your curriculum. So if you don't dedicate yourself, because I see how hard you worked, because you said you had carpet tunnel when you got to college. That means you were practicing every day. You were working hard, like a nine-to-five or 24-hour gig. And that I, I am amazed at that because you practice yourself right out of it. As far as being, you know, I can imagine you playing Al Dominiola or 
or some some um, Peter Frampton or I don't know which guitar players you were idolizing at that time, but I'm pretty sure you were trying to do every run, speed run that it, there, there was known to man. And I could see you trying to be the best. And that's what I did. So that's why I'm identifying with you because, you know, I'm a keyboard player, and I, I used to sit there and try to work my, my left hand, and I would want my left hand to be independent of my right hand. I always wanted to be the fastest and have the fastest lick. Because when, you, when you're a kid, you think speed is everything, which is not. But when you're a kid, you want to just get your dexterity going, and you really want to do stuff. So I can see you practicing at 14, 15, 16, and all the way up to – and then you said you play jazz. So therefore, you got Wes Montgomery, you got you got George Benson, you got all these great jazz players that do all these nice male belt bay runs and all these licks and chops you have to stay on top of. That's a lot of work. No, I mean, it, I mean, it was a lot, but it's funny because when I when I went through that, and you know. When you're young, you're always amazed by the spectacle. You're amazed by the big flashing lights, the fastest guitar player. Um, you know, the, like, I mean, you're amazed by these things that don't really hold any weight in your love for something. So when I started, so when I got hurt with my hands from playing, and, and, you know, everything you said is true. I was doing a bunch of stuff. I mean, when you're a student in college, already the hours that you have to learn on your instrument is insane because everything is playing even your final exams in order to to graduate or to you know to get done the class is a performance so there's like there's like no written tests i mean it's all you know you're going to lessons all day then you have a performance at night then you have to practice you know your guitar lesson afterwards and then you you know you, you might you know like you might work on your songwriting. I mean, you're, you're literally playing 14, 15 hours a day. And so then it caught up with me. And, but in the act of going through that, there was a big aspect as a musician that I completely forgot about. And that was the mind. Cause all I cared about, all I cared about was just playing faster, working harder. And I, I went into it, not even understanding the idea of like, songwriting and taking breaks and, you know, like the emotion behind music. And so when I started writing, when I started doing music composition, at that point, I started becoming a better music instructor. Like, actually, when when I stopped teaching, when I stopped playing guitar all day, every day because of my hand, that's actually what made me a better guitar instructor. Because the best guitar instructors, and I believe this to be true, and I tell everyone this, the best guitar instructors don't need the guitar to teach the instrument. So after that happened, I started becoming, you know, independent of not needing a guitar in my, in my lessons. And, and they became better. My students got a lot better. They got faster. They got smarter. Um, and all I worried about was playing, you know, to a fast metronome, but I completely forgot about songwriting and, you know, all, all like all, all these, all these other things that are so much more important than just, you know, shredding. But I mean, it's true. I, I did grow up with like the Peter Framptons and the Hendrixes and I could play dream theater note to note with, you know, uh, with, you know, like Joe Satriani, Steve Vai, John Petrucci. Huh. But uh-huh. uh, when it comes to music education, I feel like that's the biggest part of it is the mindset. Because when you look at two, like, 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 let's take two entrepreneurs, right? They're, 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 they're both starting the same company, but they both went to the same school, 
maybe um, you know they 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 have they have the same they have the same everything, but the one thing that separates one person from being successful to the next person is the mindset. You know, I mean that's what separates the good from the good from the great. And so when I started learning that, then uh, you know, I feel like that's really kind of what made me better. You, you know, person. you know what was what was was so wonderful about you. It's kind of like you were here on Earth, and then you just jumped up to a satellite and you started looking at the whole world. First, you were individual, and you were you were this great guitar player, and then all of a sudden you just took off and became a satellite, and you were looking at the whole music world through a Hubble telescope where you could see see all the musicians as one. And arrange being a great arranger, you know, there's a lot of great arrangers out there. I'm pretty sure you studied. Now you got to study all these great arrangers and what they did, which is a wonderful thing. I think that's so awesome, man. Um, I'm studying like different arra- arrangers now. You know the things that they've done in the '70s and the '60s. It's actually, you know, for me, it's better to be an arranger, producer, songwriter because you get to see the whole ball of wax from outside. You can see how all the parts work, and it's, it's, a, it's a never-ending learning thing. You, you learn forever, and I'm I'm proud of you. You know, I mean, because you know. Doing the doing the orchestra, doing the horn arrangements, doing the the rhythm section arrangements, and then seeing it seeing it become a work of art, and seeing it before your eyes, and seeing these people play it, seeing these bands play it, seeing the marching bands play it, that got to be fun. You know what I'm saying? It has to be fun. You know, seeing schools, I think that's great, man. I think that's wonderful. That's what Quincy Jones did. He was a trumpet player, and he wasn't the hottest trumpet player. You know, you got Miles and Dizzy Gillespie, and you got all these people, and he decided to be an arranger, and, and, and then look at him. You know, that's exactly, you're just like Quincy Jones now. He's the same thing, you know, and I'm proud of that. I, I think that's awesome, man. There's so many great arrangers out there, and you, you're probably going to be one of the best since you're doing that stuff. Well, yeah, well, so, um, so, so now what I do is that I arrange one song a week. So... And that's another part that I think is incredibly important. So there's like there, there there's so many different business practices that I think are incredibly important. For one is always demand to stay in your profession, even if it's less money. Like that's the networking, and and it goes back to the mindset of what I what of what I was talking about earlier. It's like I feel like that the reason why I've grown as an arranger is because I've never ever stopped arranging. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. And um, the fact that I force myself to do one a week, every week, every part of my aspect as a musician gets better. My marketing, my distribution, my, um, you know, my arranging, my, you know, even like understanding the song catalog uh, and the community grows. And, you know, I, I mean, every aspect along the chain, mixing, mastering, production, all that stuff gets so much better. And so, the trick is to be patient and to keep on doing it. I mean, obviously, like, you know, people are, if they're struggling trying to make ends meet and, you know, they want to make more money, you're better off staying in your line. Whether you're a musician or you're, uh, you know, a mechanical designer or whatever it is, you should always demand to stay in your job because when, when the wheels keep turning – good things happen just by default, just through osmosis. So, um, you know, that's the one thing is that I've never lost that drive to succeed because I've never given myself the opportunity to ever get out of my drive. 
you know? I think that's good advice because a lot of a lot of kids and young people they end up giving up or they do all these wonderful things and the industry changed and they're not prepared for change and that they don't embrace change and they quit. Well, you just said something great to the listening audience, um, and you just helped me out too because it, it, it's, it's been some times in my career where I said, you know, maybe I should go work at Walmart. You know, forget this thing. This this music thing is not working and I just don't want to do it anymore. But this guy, well, see, Walt just told me, hey. Sometimes maybe you take a little bit less and stay in your profession and do something different, and um, you can you can still work through it. You can still work through these things, and I appreciate that advice from a young person because um, I needed to hear that, Walt, today because you never know, you know, because things change. Uh, people don't, for this profession, they might don't pay engineers this amount anymore, or I might not get $40,000 to do a track now. They might pay eight or five. So, you know, I change, I have to quit. So basically, it's great that you said that to some of the, to my listening audience out there because, yeah, you have to adapt, and I see you adapted quickly. Um, you're able to be a chameleon and adapt to your environment. Where hey, I'm not going to be the musician because you know musicians are a dime a dozen. That's what they say. So you became the arranger. So you just shit. All you could you became the songwriter, or you became the engineer, or you are writing the charts and the orchestra charts. You are able to do different things to make different different uh, forms of uh, monetary uh, paper, which is great. And I like that you share that with our audience. How you change like that, and you kind of like metamorphose. You know, you change from this to that to this to that, and you're able to stay in this business. And that's that's wonderful because most people don't know they could do that. You know, they say, well, if I don't make it as a guitar player, I guess I'll just go back to you know washing dishes, being the bus boy. I I didn't make it. But apparently, you didn't quit. You, you kept going, and I, I just I enjoy that. that. I love people who don't quit, and that's what you got to be in this business, you know. I had to do the same thing, kind of, you know. I had to change too because I was, I was a good musician out here on the on the West Coast, uh, and um, piano player. I used to get all the little gigs and get called to the studio, and then the younger guys start coming up, and they were, they, you know, I had competition, so I had to change, and I became a songwriter. So I started writing songs, and I got some hit records. Then I became a engineer. And I went to a place called Fantasy Records, and they trained me how to be an engineer. So then I became an engineer. Then I became a producer. So that's what music is. You got to grow, and maybe it was your time to change and not just be a now you're a guitar teacher, you're a music instructor, you're an engineer, you're a, you wear so many hats, you're a ranger, you write out charts. I mean, I mean that's so much talent. You don't even have to play an instrument, you know. You you just great, and I just uh, I'm glad you're sharing that with everybody, man. And I don't know if you're studying. Have you studied like different arrangers, like that you like? Do you have some arrangers you're gonna share share with us, or producers that you studied? Uh, it doesn't matter what era, just you know. Oh that you man. Like. Yeah, I mean I've studied. I mean, I've studied tons of arrangers. I mean, in terms of composers. My absolute favorite composer is Peter Tchaikovsky. Wow. By far. He, he, he is unbelievable. Um, and I'm not just talking about, like, his Nutcracker stuff. I mean, it, it, all of his arrangements, all of his orchestrations and his composition technique is just by far the best I've ever seen. I, I, and I've studied, you know, everyone from – like the Frank Sinatra big band arrangers to the orchestral arrangers to, you know, people who do uh, almost like reverse arranging where they'll, where, like where, where they'll take 
like an orchestra or a big band chart, and then they'll bring it down into a piano duo part or something. You know, I mean, wow. I've studied everything under the sun, and that's part of what you have to do it as a uh, as a student. You know, and um, you know, learning all these techniques, and and there's so much to arranging. I mean, you hear you know a Amy Winehouse um, track. You know, going off. And by the way, the piece that I'm releasing today is actually Amy Winehouse Rehab, arranged for orchestra. So it's a wow. tribute track for Amy, for Amy Winehouse. Um, wow, brings everything together. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and like, I mean, it actually will come out today at around like five at around like five o'clock. So wow. I'm, I'm I'm excited. And so this is yo, that's my first. Um, I, I guess that I guess that's the broken news. So I guess that you guys got first dibs on that uh, little piece. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, wow! You know, a, I, wow! Big announcement here on the show. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but I mean, learning all that stuff is incredibly important, and you know, one one of the things. So this goes back, and I talk a lot about like the mindset thing because I think people are just bookworms a lot when it comes to arranging or when it comes to mechanical engineering or basketball or whatever they, you know, they play by the books so, so many times, but they forget, you know, I just talk with Benjamin Zander, maestro, ben, with maestro Benjamin Zander. He's the, the Boston Philharmonic conductor. And he said to me, we were talking, I said to him and he, and he, and he agreed, but we, we were talking for a while about the, the idea of like, you could be, you can read all the books in the world about music composition, but how do you actually compose music? And the way that you do it is by not composing music. The way you become the best composer or the best arranger is to go out and enjoy your life, not even worrying about your profession. Because the more experiences you have, whether it's kayaking or salsa dancing or skydiving or near-death experiences or huge, you know, like travel experiences or, you know, meeting new friends or, you know, big extravagant parties or, you know, maybe like a quiet night, on, you know, underneath like the sunset. All these things are content that, that stay inside your mind and they, um, you know, and they intrigue you to want to create more. So, you know, I feel like that, that if you're going to live a dull life, then you're not really going to win in anything. And so I always teach that to, you know, to my students too, is like, you know, I'm so into the idea of the mindset. And uh, I feel like that's what separates the best from the worst is like, I feel like that the people who are so ingrained and kind of living in this bubble with their head in the sand, don't write as much beautiful, lush, passionate music to, uh, you know, to kind of paint the picture of beautiful, lush, passionate experiences in life, unless you actually go out there and then you live them. And so I feel like that's what kind of separates Amy Winehouse from other people. Yeah, sure, she lived, she lived a crazy life in terms of, uh, you know, a very, not, I mean, I don't think that her life was any more crazy than, you know, other people. I mean, not everyone is, you know, doing what she was doing, but um, the fact is that her life was so, was so, publicized, um, you know, people are quick to judge, but in some sense also the fact that she lived such, I think, uh, like a rich life, you know, with good experiences, bad experiences and, and you know, and everything, 
that's why her music is so rich. And so, you know, you can't have one without the other. Now, I'm not saying to go on a drug rampage in order to write better music, but, you know, <laughs> the idea is that, you know, she's, she's, she's lived the life that she wanted to live, and people give her flack for it, and then they go off and they listen to her music. Well, you wouldn't have had that beautiful music unless she had these horrible moments, you know, in her life. So I always try and teach people the idea of, like, you know, just to, like, live, like, a more richer life and to kind of break away from the guitar or from the computer, you know, because hugs and handshakes make the difference. And so I think the most important part about, about being online is being offline. So so actually what I'm getting from you that music is part of life. It's not just pushing a button or plucking a note or strumming a guitar oh. or blowing a horn. Absolutely. Absolutely, without question, music is absolutely part of life. And in fact, music is like every single aspect to life. I mean, music has so many similarities to cooking. It has so many similarities to a conversation. I mean, what are some of the most beautiful, fun, uh, invested conversations that you've ever had? It's ones that you identify with, you know, ones that that uh, that are two-sided instead of one-sided or that maybe you have an argument about or maybe they, um, you know, um, like that maybe some parts to the conversation, you're laughing really hard and then, you know, five minutes later, you know, it's just a normal conversation and then there's some kind of maybe like silence to create some tension to get back into the release of the conversation. And music is the same exact way. You would you would create a symphony in the same exact way that you would create a beautiful movie or a book or a conversation with your best friend uh, or a painting. You know, I mean, all these things are so connected that I think to just ignore one and to not live the experiences in other ways um, you know, you're not doing you're not doing a service for you as a musician and for you as a human being. You know, you weren't you weren't meant to write music 20 hours a day. You know, you 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 were meant to go out and do fun things, and then that actually will make you a better musician. I mean, this is what I teach people all the time. Wow. So I mean, yeah, I mean, how like. So, like, how, like, do so? How do you feel about? It? I mean, Ian, like, do you agree or disagree? No, I, 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 I definitely agree with that because, uh, you know, you know, like, it's kind of like, you know, you can't really be creative if you don't feel good. So, if you don't go out and do something that makes you feel good, you're not gonna want to play your instrument and feel good about it. You're not gonna want to give back to the world. You're not gonna want to put out. You're not gonna want to create anything. So, you got, you have to go out here and it's like a painter. If you don't have anything to paint, if you don't go out and experience nothing, you have nothing to paint. How could you? you know, yes, but, yeah, but one thing which I can say, like just listening to this, is it's just like a musical instrument, just like any kind of tool is a tool. You could you could create amazing art with it, or you could just follow the lines. I mean, you. I mean, it's like as you said, paint. You can make these amazing paintings that maybe they'll show up in a museum or on your parents' refrigerator wall, or you could just have white paint and paint the walls. There's different ways of doing it. There are people who who can play instruments who might not be able, might not have the means to create music or that knowledge, but at the same time, it's a matter of you have the ability to create amazing things. You don't, that's, but that, but it's not a given. It's like, it's like Walt. It's like, it's like 
because Walt has a guitar doesn't mean he's a rock star. Doesn't mean he can write music. He might learn other people's music, might put his own personal flavors on it. But it's something where it's like the opportunity exists for everyone to create amazing things with what they have. Whether they do or not is up to them. Absolutely. Right. So do you do you do any um uh, Walt, do you do any uh counterpoint? Do you have like a great arranger that, that you just love the counterpoint stuff he does? Uh, is there somebody out there like, you know, uh you uh, know, well I mean Bach, you I mean Bach has done Bach has done some pretty intense counterpoint. There's also a song that's called or song, there's a there's a book I forget it's right here next to me. It's by Johan Fuchs, uh F U X. Um let me see if I can find it. It's uh la, 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 la. Oh, here. It's called The the Study of Counterpoint. Um, and so that is, you know, the book that I studied all throughout school. And so, you know, there's these things that are called, um, oh, God, I'm, da- I'm dating myself now. Uh, oh, it starts with an S. I'm thinking series, but it's not, but it's not called series. There are these things that, it's sequences? I, uh, I forget. But, um, but there's different rules in, in counterpoint, like what works and what doesn't work, and I think that's incredibly interesting. I, I, I it's like a math problem for me. I, I, I find it to be fascinating. Right, right, right. So did you um did you did you do your theory and composition? Um, did you study out a book for that for your theory and composition? Is this like I I study out a guy named his name is Walter Piston, so I worked with that. But I was wondering if uh, what book did you use for your theory and composition when you were starting to, when you stopped playing the guitar? And you decided to do music theory and get into all that. Is there a book you could recommend for some of the young people out there that uh, for just theory and composition in general? There's nothing that. No, you know what? I took. I had five different. I think four or five different teachers, which was part of my curriculum when when I was in college. And there's no book that jumps off of me, in terms of. Um, you know, uh, like a book to study from. Uh, like, okay. Like I'm, there's nothing specifically. I mean, I guess in, there's this one book that I'm looking at. It's called Music Listening Today, and it's by Hoffner, H-O-F-S, let me see what that's, H-O-F-F-E-R. And that came out years ago, and I remember reading that, which is kind of like an introduction to music appreciation, but there's some interesting compositional stuff there. There's also, um, so, I mean, there's different styles, too. I mean, there's, like, there's jazz books, there's folk books, there's production books, there's orchestration books, there's, um, I mean, there's everything, you know, under the sun. There's, uh, like, there's music history books. So I think all these things are actually incredibly interesting in terms of growing, you know, as a musician, and it's the same way. I feel the same way about that as I do about everything else. Like the way to become a good orchestrator isn't to just read orchestration stuff. You know, you should read about, you know, recording and mixing and mastering and folk and jazz and pop and R&B and Motown. And, you know, you should go to, you know, like a techno club every couple of weeks to just like check out the scene you know, like this is like this is how I feel about the orchestra as a whole. It's like that they're so outdated, and they wonder why they're going out of business. And it's like, it's because the orchestra can learn a lot from Lady Gaga, but they don't want to. 
So, you know, right. and then don't complain that you're not selling tickets. Meanwhile, Lady Gaga can't keep up with the demand. Now, I'm not saying that every orchestra should wear, you know, a pink flamingo hat and a meat purse. But, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a spectacle. And music is more than just listening. It's like, you know, it involves the eyes, uh, you know, smell, touch, um, you know, feeling. All you know, all of these things are, are what create a piece of music. So if you're, um, you know, just thinking as a piece of music is just something that you hear rather than something that you experience, then you've then you've already you know lost, I think, because it's so it's so it's so much more than that, you know. I was going to take you back to when you were 16 and you were playing. You said you played in all these bands, and <clears throat> did any of your friends go on to be like some of my friends? went on to be a success. Do you have any friends that might have went on and played with, you know, some of the artists out there that you kind of, like, wow, he went on and did that, or I got a friend that plays with Earth, Wind & Fire. I have a friend that plays with Prince. I was wondering, did any of your friends uh, that you grew up with went on and inspired to be great musicians in the music industry? <laughs> yeah, there's, <laughs> it's funny you say that. There's actually like two, there, there, there's like two or three uh, really, really good friends of mine uh, who went on to be, uh, you know, very successful. There's this one band that's called The Early November, and uh, I actually went to school with them, and they got signed to Drive Through Records. This is like in, in like the late '90s, and they went on to do some some amazing things. And they no longer are at Drive Through, I, I don't think, but they still have like a whole following, and they still have a whole thing. They were on MTV. They were they were they were they were the biggest things. It was like you had Good Charlotte, uh, Blink One Eighty Two. And then you had the early November, which is kind of like a more of like an indie kind of like an indie rock vibe and less pop punk, but uh, uh-huh. but it was but it was a very cool vibe and they went on to do big things. And then there were people that I went to school with, who uh, in college now that was now that was high school what I was just referring to. But people that I went to school with in college who went on to do big things like I I, I know the trumpet player to John Legend. I know people who performed with Herbie Hancock. Um, you know, I know people who work at some of the biggest record labels in the world and, you know, have these big, you know, like prestigious jobs. But it's another thing is like, it's, it's the same way that I feel that you should grow a, a community of fans is that you're not creating fans. You're creating, you're not creating a fan base. You're creating a friend base. Um, and so you kind of want to create like a small family. And so when I have these friends that are, you know, in high places or they're doing big things, I, like even when I, when, when, when I go out to grab drinks with them, it, it's, it's never about work or about business. It's it just, it's just like a cool friendship. They happen to be in the same industry. You maybe ask them a couple of questions. You guys knock back and forth and, you know, you go out and you, you bowl or you play, you know, ping pong or you go out dancing and stuff. And it's just, you know, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very cool kind of vibe, and so I, I feel like that's why I've kept a lot of my friends. That it's never, you know, it's never been a superficial thing. It's just, you know, it's been a very kind of like, you know, fun friendship first, and they just happen to do big things. And so I also feed off of that too, you know, like <laughs> like that, like that. When I have a, when I when I was in college, the fact that my um, uh, that my teachers that I was studying from were active in the world of music, 
that was a motivation for me. Like they weren't just a teacher behind a cubicle, you know, giving out test papers every couple of weeks. They, they, they were actually involved. And so you would like read the newspaper the next day and like you saw that they performed somewhere or you know, they have a movie coming out and they wrote the score for it or whatever it was. And so I think that's actually pretty intriguing. That's why I always try and stay, you know, also in my, um, in, in my profession, not only for the mindset of like, you know, if you lose it, if you don't use it, you lose it. But also because when I'm teaching my own students, I have to be a role model to them. So um, it's a it's a motivational thing too. I I, I try and you know um, I try and walk it and talk it. You know. Well, well, I want to tell you we probably have to do a part two with you on the show. You've been wonderful. We're running out of time here, but uh, would you would you mind coming back again maybe sometime? Oh, dude, this is a blast. I, 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 I would talk about 15 other things other than music. I mean, we can talk about so much stuff. I mean, you know, we can talk more, more about music, but I, I, I find I could, I could talk for an hour about a bunch of stuff. I, I, I'm loving this. Well, this is great. I don't know what the time went. It's like, it seems like we only talked like 15 minutes. This is, you've been a great guest, and I have so many more questions, and I, I see a lot of myself, some of the things you went through. I, I feel you, man. I feel you all. So I'm just letting you know, you've been a great guest, man. Uh, Ian, I'm glad you had this young gentleman on our show. This has been a great show. I, man, it's yes, uh, yes, wonderful. Well, thank, you wanna... for, thank you for being on. Thank you very much yeah. for joining us. Uh, oh, I, thank I, thank I, you for having I, me, man. This is a blast. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, we're on the other side of the country, but I'm sure that Jay is just glowing right now. Oh, yeah. I want to get into some of those students and how he teaches those kids. And I just want you know, I got so many more questions. Oh, well, I actually uh, put my company out of business kind of because of my business model. I wasn't thinking, you know, but I, I could talk about I could talk about business for an hour. I think I think that's fun and interesting, too. Wow. Very cool. We need some all right, so Walt, just briefly, if you could just tell us your websites, Twitter handles, where can our audience find you and find your and find this brand new Amy Whitehouse song? Oh, you. cool. Uh, well, so um, well, I mean, if you want to make it simple, you can just Google Amy Whitehouse Orchestra, and I'll be the, I'll be the first result. Uh, or you can just go to my website, which is fororchestra.com. That's F-O-R orchestra.com. And the way that we came up with that business name is that we arrange pop songs for orchestra. So um, that's it. It's just Walt Ribeiro, and I'm at fortorchestra.com, and I release a song a week. This week is, is in Winehouse. Next week I'm doing Jonathan Colton. And, um, yeah, no, I, like that we have our community vote on which songs they want to do, and it's a, and it's a, it's a, lot, it's a lot of fun. Wow. Very cool. All right, well, I'm now we get to let you go. Thank you once again, and thank, thank you. you again. All right, cool. Thank Thanks, you. Walt. Thanks, Jay. Okay, All right, thank have you. Have a good day, so Walt. All right, you too, guys. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. All right. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, Walt Ribeiro. How did you like that, Jay? Boy, that was I, – I loved it. It was very exciting and so much energy and so much information. And, I mean, he's just, he's just a true genius. I just really was impressed and uh, be glad to hear from him again. Absolutely, Jay. I just have two quick housekeeping things before we go. 
First thing is if you go onto the internet and you type in parentskidsmusic.com right now, you will see a website. Our website is finally up. You can be able to listen to past shows. You're going to be able to find out a lot of great stuff about the show at parentskidsmusic.com. And then also, just for, on a final note, um, Gail, as we were talking about, Gail Davis, I'm um, so this artist named Lira from South Africa in New York City at SOBs. She said it was an amazing turnout. She's someone who stands for Youth Music and Education, and she's one of our partners in the Treasure and You campaign, the East Ram School of the Arts in South Africa. Her website is misslira.co.za. That's M-I-S-S-L-I-R-A dot C-O dot Z-A. And um, I invite you to go to those websites. I invite you to go to Walt's website. I mean, seriously, Jay, wow. Walt, I mean, I mean I'm, what a great show. Absolutely, yes. Jay. Yes, it was a good show today. And uh, we invite everybody next week also. We'll same time. It's going to be the same, <laughs> same bad time, same bad channel. Like, you know what, every week we seem to, like, figure out what the show is. But and this, and long, we've been lucky that we've been able to have a consistent time. So it will be 3 p.m. on the East Coast, 12 noon on the West Coast next Thursday, which will be – in August, which means we are heading towards very closely to the one-year anniversary of Parents Kids Music. Can you believe that, Jay? Yes. Yep. And um, it's going to be wonderful. And I'll be on the counter West Coast, and I'll be in Utah, Salt Lake City. So I'll be coming from Salt Lake City because I got to do some little playing out there. So it's going to show up kind of on the West Coast, but not on the West Coast. <laughs> so it's, it's farther west for me. It's in a different area code. All right, Jay, thank you, everyone. I think it's time to go. Any final okay. thoughts in the last two minutes before I press the button playing the song Treasure before we fade to black? Uh, yeah, Ian, what is your treasure? What is That's your treasure? Um, my, my treasure is my family. I'm lucky that I have them. My father, my sister is in town right now. I mean, town is, I mean, she's in the suburbs compared to the city. And I'm just very happy to have it in my life. How about you? The NFL is back. That's all I want to say. The NFL is back. <laughs> I'm ready. Excellent. All Bye. right. Thank you. Okay, so I think that's it, everyone. We'll see you next week, or we'll hear you next week. Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs>